Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my two brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. Today, we're talking about Joy Division versus New Order. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now, let's talk about Joy Division's unknown pleasures and New Order's power, corruption, and lies. Welcome to Brother, Brother, Brother. Today we are talking about Battle of the Bands. Uh, Jeremy and Wyndham are going to be getting in the ring to discuss the two best albums by Joy Division and New Order, um, which are Unknown Pleasures and Power, Corruption, and Lies. Um, I think that, you know, we came to the conclusion that when we did our first Battle of the Bands installment a couple months ago, between Smashing Pumpkins and Jane's Addiction, you know, really the best way to lead this off would be uh, to allow each band to put their best, first, uh, best foot forward. So, you know, in each of these cases, we're taking our favorite um, and sort of the, the critical consensus best album um, by each of these groups, which I have to say is actually not, uh, not necessarily the, the easiest thing to determine when you're talking about Joy Division and New Order. So maybe just to tee it up, you guys want to talk for a second about, you know, how you ended up coming to the conclusion that, that you know, Unknown Pleasures is the clear standout for Joy Division and uh, Age of Cons- or excuse me, um, that uh, Power, Corruption, and Lies is the um, clear standout for um, for New Order. Yeah, I mean, I can start, uh, if you don't mind, when. And uh, so, um, <laughs> which I'll be doing round one and two, but um, to you. So, yeah, I mean, for, for New Order, first of all, the whole reason this kind of thing came up was, you know, our ongoing text message. We, we talk about music all the time and um, I think you guys were talking about Joy Division, and, and I threw out that I think New Order is better than Joy Division. And uh, I know that they're primarily the same band, minus a singer and plus a, uh, a female keyboard and guitarist. Um, but, you know, the, the thing that struck me was, you know, I like Joy Division in theory. I understand their importance in music. I just don't enjoy listening to them. And... Um, For me, the reason I came to Power, Corruption, and Lies was I I think New Order really has three excellent albums, um, one or two good albums. And out of those three, this was sort of the album that I think New Order became New Order. So um, just a quick backstory, as as many of our listeners probably will know, but, you know, when Ian Curtis decided to uh, end his, his life, tragically, the band sort of reformed and always had a pact that was that they would they would continue as a band, but they would change the name if any one member left. And the, the remaining members were Martin Hannett, Peter Hook, and, and Bernard Sumner at the time. Which and is they, Stephen uh, Morris. Stephen Morris as well. And they um, they ended up you know going with the name New Order and putting out Movement First Ceremony, which was the uh, early single, which was basically a Joy Division song done by this lineup. And then Movement was the album that came out in uh, 81, which really, you know, 
they hadn't picked a singer. Um, I think you can really tell they were mourning the death of their friend and, and their band leader. And, and so for me, Power, Corruption, and Lies came out in 83 and, and really kind of marked who this band is, would become, and I think really came out of the gate kicking and, and is their, my favorite and I think their best album. Yeah, I see that. Um, I actually, you know, it's funny, I, you know, doing research for this, I, I came to realize, and I don't think I, you know, I mean, I, I remember you know, digesting this piece of information a long time ago, but there was basically a, a jump ball to see who would become the, the vocalist, and all three of them tried. All three of them cut uh, versions of Ceremony, uh, which is, yep. an, you know, a uh, Joy Division song uh, that uh, Ian Curtis also uh, laid down a couple of times before he died. Um, but it would, you know, and I think that's really the, the sort of quintessential difference between Joy Division and New Order is that, you know, I love both of them. I love New Order, but Joy Division had a much stronger vision, and, uh, you know, they had a, a, a much headier um, lyricist, singer, and uh, band leader. And I think, you know, New Order's always, um, you know, they, they obviously um, took the architecture from, from Joy Division. Um, obviously, it's the same, same band, less one member, but it, um, they didn't have the same spirit and the same sort of, um, I think, intensity. Um, and sometimes that, I think, you know, I think in your case, that intensity might be a little uh, bit uh, over the top and what you're not so crazy about with these guys. But I really do think that there's a marked difference in uh, the meaningfulness of, of the lyrics and delivery uh, between uh, Ian Curtis and those who came after him. And uh, I think, you know, right off the bat, uh, you know, you take, um, you know, I, I find that, you know, to me, Unknown Pleasures is, you know, an incredible debut. Um, you know, that is such a, again, I, I use this term fairly frequently, um, but sparingly in terms of who, who uh, I use it on, and that is this band arrived fully formed and uh, unfortunately didn't last very long. Well, there you have it, folks. I mean, I think the the competition is is between, as you say, a, a band that um, in in Joy Division that um, is much more intense, perhaps a little bit more seriousness, or excuse me, a little bit more serious, but um, but definitely benefits from the strong and clear leadership of Ian Curtis, their their lead singer and songwriter. And then on the other hand, you have um, a band that definitely explored uh, new levels and and depths of musicality um, in in New Order, uh, who you know, persist to this day. Um, and, you know, who've put out uh, decades of, of good music, but also um, did it through uh, through sort of an evolving soundscape in the UK and, and sort of incorporated a lot of, um, you know, a lot more synth and a lot more dance rhythms that, um, you know, that made it a little bit funkier and, and a little bit more listenable to a wide audience. So I think with that, we're ready to throw down the gauntlet. You guys um, want to take a quick break and then we'll come back and discuss side A of each of these albums? Yeah, I think Let's I'm going to go it. see my corner man. Sensations make me feel the pleasures of a noble man. These sensations bear the insults we've 
Welcome back to Brother, Brother, Brother. I'm hosting today is Christian Lewis as we discuss uh, as we discuss Joy Division versus New Order, and we're going to kick off the next segment with uh, Jeremy um, presenting his argument in favor of Side A of Power, Corruption, and Lies by New Order. All right. Well, thanks, Christian. So, yeah, I mean, you know, just kind of I'm going to touch on a couple of things that that Wyndham mentioned about uh, Joy Division as well. And, and first off, you know, I think it was intensity and, and sort of. Uh, depth of lyricism and uh you know to me that album equals uh a lot of boredom and and really sort of bland uh sparse music i i you know i, I like i said i enjoy the i i agree with the importance but i uh i disagree yes, with bland, the, no the jesus love. jeremy comes out <laughs> swinging yeah <laughs> Yeah. So let's get into, uh, well, first off, I, you know, I'm so confident in my choice that, you know, I'm going to give up a song that was on the version that I knew, which was the U.S. version, and that was uh, Blue Monday. So Wyndham is older than me and uh, likely had a U.K. version <laughs> um, that did not too. have Blue Monday in it. And there's kind of a cool story behind that song not being on the album, and it was, you know, basically that, that uh, New Order was... You know, part of the factory, uh, factory independent label, Stable. and Manchester, the house band, really, and the the kind of cornerstone of that label. Um, and they, one of their deals was they wouldn't put singles on albums. And so when this album came out, there was a big fat sticker that said "Does not have Blue Monday on it." <laughs> so as if, um, you know, I'm going to say as a PD test, I'm going to give up Blue Monday because that would just take it over the top. But um, the, the you know, best selling. Uh, Single independent in single, yeah, ind- indie single. Yes, you're right. Um, and you know, I think that single says a lot for the direction this album went. So after kind of mourning their good friend, and, and like I said, kind of you know, unfortunately sounding like Joy Division on the first album, they um, they found their sound, and they found it really through a love of, of dance music. And, and I think uh, Bernard Sumner talked about listening to a lot of Italian disco. Um, listening to some of the stuff that was going on in New York and Chicago and uh, and really kind of wanting to put the band's prowess behind it. And you guys both mentioned something. The musicality of New Order is, is really what kind of strikes me. There's, I'm not a, a music first guy. Like when I, I tend to be a lyrics first and a vocals first. But um, I think Bernard Sumner and this band kind of, you know, just took music in a direction that is just influenced hordes and hordes of, of bands. So side A, I'll get to it, Age of Consent, right? Kicks off with what I think is really kind of the quintessential New Order sound, which is that bass riff from <clears throat> Peter Hook, the lead bass, the amazing sort of drum fills and drum machine, the synth, and then that kind of interspersant guitar that Sumner kicks in with and along with his sort of I, I personally like his voice and I like his delivery and I think his lyrics may have gotten sometimes corny at the end but they were certainly weren't corny on this album and it's just a real hit you in the face opener I mean that song I think we can all agree is one of the best songs of the 80s by far um yep. the whole side a so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave Blue Monday off and just say that like the whole side a really kind of encapsulates what I think New Order became and what they did, which was mixing a rock band with dance music. And these guys were really synth-heavy, really sequencer-heavy, and there's no better versions of that than than The Village and 586, where those songs are, are banging dance songs. I mean, you could, you know, just imagine people dancing on the dance floor of the Hacienda 
in Manchester, which they were to those songs. And I mean, I think they really put that sort of dance music groove, but you never forgot that there wasn't a band behind it because they actually were playing instruments. They were doing drum fills over the, the drum machines. And then, you know, I think the only downside to side one, so you have three really sort of brilliant songs that, I mean, influenced everyone from Cut Copy to, um, you know, Daft Punk to uh, what would be later in Manchester in the late 80s, Stone Roses, Happy Mondays. Really, any of that kind of dance rock music that we hear today, uh, LCD, I think those three songs, Age of Consent, The Village, and 586, are the reason those bands exist. they do you know for the moody folks for you depressed fellas for uh you still have we all stand which is you know i I think kind of harkens back to that joy division sound um not my favorite not what i would put second and definitely uh, a little too long for my taste but still a good song and and definitely in in has sort of a deep array of different instrumentation and uh you know i think good lyrics as well so I think side A is, is extremely hard to beat for both its influences, the fact that it was really kind of in an era of dance pop, and this is when you were getting like Spandau Ballet and sort of the new romantics um, in England. I mean, these guys were way more worried about moving feet on the dance floor in the club than they were having hit singles. And they managed to make music that was both listenable and, you know, to this day, you hear Age of Consent in a bar, the village in a bar, in a club, and, and you want to move. Mm-hmm. No, it's, I, I, the thing that's interesting to me, and, and um, you know, this will, uh, you know, segue nicely from New Order to uh, back to Joy Division, um, is that, uh, you know, the the rhythm section was driving the, the song always, that, you know, Peter Hook's bass lines were always the, the sort of uh, foundation on which everything else was built. And um, you know Stephen Morris's drums, and uh, you know that started with disorder. Um, disorder, uh, as much as you know, people think of Joy Division as kind of you know difficult to, you know, not not as accessible as New Order necessarily. I mean, Disorder is a straight up arena rock song, as far as you know, as far as I could tell, or as far as I thought. Um, you know, you've got. Uh, and, I, and again, I think it's really the blueprint for everything that New Order ever did later, uh, including Ceremony and then, you know, onward and into what they did. It's got, you know, that... that it was just signature. a shame that the rest of the album didn't follow that lead. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, no, no, there's, there's a lot of great, great stuff song. on here. And there's a lot of weird, uh, you know, I mean, I, in reading about this. The other thing, though, that I would say, and, and you know, um, in, the, in the I Was There... Uh, realm of the argument. I did see New Order a lot when I was younger and was always sort of chronically disappointed in their amount of performance uh, that they gave because they were really dull live. Uh, Very exact, but very dull. And then I go back and look at, you know, Joy Division, who really sounded different uh, live than they did on record. And and that was a real, um, you know, sort of a bone of contention, I think, for some of the people in the band because, um, you know, Martin Hannett was such a control freak in the studio, their their producer, that, you know, they really sounded far more remote um, than they did live. They sounded much more like a banging rock band live. And, 
and you know, I think it's you know, it took Peter Hook a long time, I think, to come to understand why that was important uh, and why the studio stuff was, uh, you know, was intentionally so different uh, than what their live sound was. They were two different beasts, and and Hannett was uh, a big fan of driving that home. I mean, everything that you know, listening to this, just in terms of feel that you had, you know, when you when I. You know, I want to remember listening to this when I was young. Is that this was spooky, dissonant, um, you know, very uh, austere kind of music. And you know, I mean, we talk at length about people like uh, Eno and and Can, and you know, that's this is the logical successor to that. And then you know, New Order is a logical successor, but still, I think uh, Joy Division takes the crown for being the original. have it i mean i think we have two two pretty sound arguments here for uh for side a of both of these albums um you know i I think that there are some interesting threads of continuity between the two i actually think that stephen morris was probably the strongest musician performing on both um uh it just in terms of you know the, the fact that he you know his his evolution um was was uh wasn't something that took place sort of between between these two albums. He was he was sort of a, a present um, a present force um, driving along both of these. And you know, similarly, I think um, uh, I think you know you could say that the the bass certainly was something that that evolved um, as was the guitar work. Given um, given that they were relative uh, neophytes on those instruments when they got started. Um, I've always contested but, uh, that, you know, and, and, you know, I'm sure someone would argue the opposite, but I, I've always contested that it's Peter Hook's lack of experience that made this band yeah. so interesting sounding, is that, you know, he tried to play the thing like a guitar. And, and, uh, no, that, I think that's... He's there's, the lead there's guitarist in a sense, yeah, I mean, it's... Absolutely something to be said for that, which is that, you know, his relative inexperience on the instrument was, yeah, something that caused him to innovate in a way that other people, you know, who were, who were more not cons- to do. constrained, yeah, that other people who are constrained by tradition and, and you know, um, technique uh, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have ever really toyed with. Um, that said, yeah, I mean, I think you also, you know, you highlight um, a, couple of, uh, a couple of great songs. I mean, two of my... I mean, frankly, two of my favorite songs ever in Disorder and Age of Consent. Um, and, uh, and neither of you really went into that much detail on the, uh, on the other songs on Side A, which I think is, uh, which is perhaps an interesting well, omission. Jared did. I certainly I did. didn't. Uh, Day of the Lords, I found, I've always found it a little overwrought, but, you know, fair enough. And, um, you know, New Dawn Fades is a great song. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go to Side B, though. I'm, I'm ready to make to. I'm going to plead to the ref that I, I talked a lot about the village in 586. So. That's, that's true, yes, sir. Um, and, and Blue Monday, which of course is another To the Romanian album. judge. <laughs> all, right. <laughs> um, all right, so let's take a quick break and then we can come back and discuss side B.
Welcome back, and we're here to discuss side B of Joy Division's uh, seminal album Unknown Pleasures and New Order's Power, Corruption, and Lies. Um, We've just wrapped up uh, the discussion about side A, and, um, you know, I think uh, I... Personally, um, I think, you know, Jeremy did a great job of sort of laying out the case for sort of the danceability of these tracks um, on, you know, on, on the first half of this album. Um, but I think, uh, I think Wyndham, again, you know, did a, did a good job of sort of highlighting the way that, that Disorder and, and New Dom Fades were, were sort of, uh, um, you know, key songs and, uh, for, for a band that was, you know, certainly intense and sort of the, the, the vehicle for, um, for Ian Curtis's uh, sort of powerful delivery. So, you know, with, without further ado, I think um, let's kick it off with, uh, with Wyndham discussing side B of uh, Joy Division's Unknown Pleasures. Well, to carry out the uh, boxing analogy, that was my rope-a-dope right there. I was, uh, you know, I threw a haymaker with Disorder, which I think is, the, you know, the best song on either one of these albums. And, um, and then I kind of, you know, kind of took a couple... Punches and, and now it's coming back <laughs> because uh, uh, side B of this album is phenomenal and uh, she's lost control starts off with she's lost control which is another you know just phenomenal uh, you know uh, very much genre defining kind of uh, song and uh, also sort of highlights Martin Hannett's role in this whole thing because there's some weird stuff going on that is non. Uh, attributable to any of the instruments that are involved in this. And I've never, you know, you can never figure out what it is. You know, by all accounts, there's, you know, I mean, in obvious places, there's bottles breaking and, and uh, other things. But, you know, he also was sending a, a revolving microphone up the uh, shaft of the elevator and, and doing all sorts of, you know, crazy nonsense um, that was uh, obviously uh, not as crazy as we once thought, given the uh, outcomes. But uh, She's Lost Control, followed by Shadow Play, Wilderness, Interzone, I Remember Nothing. Um, I, uh, you know, I'll take those first for um as you know to stand up to any album side ever uh it's it's as good as it gets and then you you know you you talk about the sort of um ephemera around this album and you know it was an album that had a very dark and, and distant sound uh it came at a time when you didn't know a lot about uh you know the bands that you were listening to, so it, it had a you know a built-in mystery. Uh, less so in the UK, where you could see pictures of these people, but certainly in the US, um, you know this was just pure mystery. Not to mention the fact that you know one of the things that uh, you know Factory really established in Peter Seville, um, you know their resident artist um, drove home was this sort of you know, artwork that never highlighted or, or spotlighted uh, the members of the bands and the typical kind of posing with instruments kind of stuff. This was, you know, abstract art that was, uh, you know, defining, the sort of defining uh, iconography around these guys. And you can't find, I mean, I, I really, you know, with the exception of maybe London Calling and a couple of others, uh, there's no greater or more iconic album cover um, the history of rock and roll than unknown pleasures, and uh, I think I'm sure more people own the T-shirt than listen to the album. Absolutely, I mean that's what we call the CBGB syndrome. Yeah, but um, you know, I, I. But that that being said, it's still you know that's a striking uh, bit of album art, and you know again the 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 
relative mystery around this band, uh, intentional or unintentional, uh, really added to the spookiness of, of where the music was coming from and, and again added to the feeling of you know sort of isolation and, and the themes that were being addressed on this album. She's Lost Control um, uh, is a song uh, that is sort of uh, theorized to be about uh, Ian Curtis's own battle with epilepsy, which was really dominating uh, his personal life at the time. Uh, he also worked in, a, in an epileptic ward, and so he said, you know, it was about somebody else, but it was really about himself, um, and the fact that, you know, this, um, you know, his epilepsy would rise up and, and was starting to really frighten him, that it may uh, dis, you know, derail his career, among other things, that coupled with troubled relationship and a very early marriage. I mean, he was dead at 21, and, uh, you know, he left behind a widow, and, um, you know, all that uh, lines up to make a pretty upbeat and lively album. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely one for the kids. Yeah. Took a spin through Unknown Pleasures today before this pod, and, and then pulled my head out of the oven and decided to listen to Side <laughs> B of, uh, of Power, Corruption, and Lies. And, and uh, you know, I mean, I, I think Wind's thrown some punches, and, and I get it. A lot of them are sort of around the album, around the myth of the band, certainly around the uh, artwork and aura. Um, and I get that because that's what you know is really important about Joy Division, and. and uh, and I, I think that, you know, they, they made their mark, and it was a mark that I don't love listening to, but I, I think that it, uh, that certainly I could name a couple of singles, She's Lost Control, Disorder, and then singles not on this album that, that made a permanent mark on me and uh, in music in general. But that said, you know, I think New Order doesn't get the credit it deserves for making the same mark and, and, and kind of carrying that on and doing it better, really. Um, you know, side B of this album first of all, you know, continues to explore kind of the new sounds where they're using a lot of, of synth and, and uh, mirroring it up with their, their sort of regular instruments. Um, but it also, like, takes a turn for some really, like, pretty melodic songs. So, you know, um, basically your silent face is almost like, a, I guess, a ballad in a sense that it's, it's a slower song with, with really atmospheric keys and... and the same kind of like, you know, quirky bass and, and, and drums that, that is carried out throughout these albums, but um, takes it kind of to a new kind of level of, of really sort of like, uh, I just think it's a beautiful song. I mean, it's, it's an all-encompassing, it's a great headphone song. It's a, and, you know, I think people like M83, late Eric Cure, um, anybody who kind of even, you, you know, even sort of the Flaming Lips symphonic period, I mean, this the sounds of that song kind of, just overtake you and and this album's really about that i mean i think the first side is your dance music where you've got you know great great tunes great melody great pop with a dance beat the second side tends to be more of this sort of atmospheric, atmospheric. Yeah. yeah and and really kind of but the, the difference between this atmosphere and the joy division atmosphere is i want to be in this atmosphere well no but <laughs> the, say, funny yeah. thing, the funny thing that you, you know you 
It's funny that you say that because I, I realized when I was listening to this album today that, because um, I was listening to it on speakers today, um, that I very, I don't think, rarely if ever do I listen to this album not on headphones or, you know, um, on True, pleasures. Yeah. It's not a It's not a share album. <laughs> I mean, yeah. not not a share album, but it's not a album you share with others. It's not like oh, it's cocktail hour. Let's throw on some Joy Division. Um, yeah, no, and, not at all. And then um, you know, well, maybe you're doing the epileptic ward. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> but a song like "Leave Me Alone" or or uh, you know, "Your Silent Face" um, are absolutely well. You know, I think great music to to put on a stereo, and even "Ultraviolence," where it goes back into a little bit more of the more aggressive kind of dance beats and and you know heavier bass and kind of more experimentation um you know those songs still i think you know there's there's i mean look there's a little bit of datedness on on both these albums and i think new order suffers a little bit more just with keyboards in the 80s but for the most part i mean this album all the way through i think sounds really fresh um for an album that you know a lot of the peers at the time sound really dated and I think it's because these guys were ahead of, uh, sort of ahead of their time in both, you know, kind of uh, bringing sequencers and, and synths into rock music. And as they would go on to other albums, you also would, you know, they, they did a side A of the style to a side B or on Low Life, they kind of mixed them even more. But on this album, I think you really got both contrasts, both within songs, and then almost every other song would be kind of those two different styles. Yeah, so side yeah, B, to me, the, the real impactful thing, sorry, when it is, it's, it's, it's a really melodic, it, it, it carries the same catchiness and poppiness as side A, but in a much more atmospheric and kind of like broad way. And I don't know how else to describe it, kind of mellower songs, slower songs. But Leave Me Alone, Your Silent Face are the standouts to me. Ecstasy and Ultraviolence are, are great songs as well. I was just going to say that, you know, I mean, I think the thing that keeps it current, you know, more fresh sounding than a lot of its contemporaries or, or you know, relative contemporaries in that period in the 80s is real drums um, I've, I've said that a lot before but it's true it's you know it, the difference between a Gary Newman two-way army record and a Thompson Twins record is real is I mean obviously there's a massive difference between I think things, the but, addition of guitars too though because you no, no, base, but, yeah. but I mean it's it's the it's the electronic drums that really sound dated at this point it's crazy that and you know that and production techniques well, no, and we talked about Morris, you know, I think Christian mentioned being the best mu- musician, and he really did play with a lot of drum machine techniques, but also did use live drums. But I also got to say, like, and I think Bernard Sumner's The Unsung Hero, A, this is the album where he stepped up, right? We talked about mo- movement being the album where everybody kind of turn, you know, took turns singing. Nobody, you can tell on that album, nobody really wanted to be the guy. On this album, you know, and I guess Blue Monday being kind of the launching point, he becomes the guy, and he sings with passion. I think he sings, you know, um, you know, the guy can sing. And and the other piece, though, I, I love his guitar work. It's not yeah. flashy. It's not, you know, uh, necessarily the most, like, technically proficient, but it, it has these little... He just knows when to put in that guitar lick or knows it's when to It's also very kinda, rarely the me- melody line, you know. Yeah, and good. knows when to add. And a lot of it is, and, and, you know, in reading about New Order, is that he wasn't very good at singing and playing, and that's why you sort of have those breaks from guitar, and Peter Hook kind of draws the song with Morris and, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Gilbert, you know, on synth. And then, um, you know, once sort of Sumner stopped singing, he kicked in and, and, you know, started playing guitar. I didn't know whose wife that was, sorry. Julian, Stephen Morris's, yeah, they got married, but they got married in, like, the mid-'90s. I mean, after they'd been in a band together for 10 years. Yeah, gotcha. 
Um, and when to your live point, I mean, I never saw either of these bands, and you know, we we obviously aren't talking live albums here. But I mean, that was one of the things that New Order kind of stood by was that they were like, look, you know, we're we're going to do it our way, and they played short shows and tight shows and never played encores. And it was the same thing as them saying, we're never going to put our singles on albums. And I will say, although New Order, def- I mean, Joy Division definitely takes the uh, the cake for album art and uh, t-shirt sales, I do love the uh, Power Corruption Lies Still Life as well. It's, a great it's also album. a great album. Yeah, great I was going to say, they're, they're actually, they both are. I mean, and, and I mean... But I think that, that was whole... a carryover. Of the, I think they have the same artistic director. They may have, but they're yeah. different bands. With different mm-hmm. albums, yeah. On a thousand islands in the sea I see a thousand Should we have some closing arguments here? Uh, yeah, I think that would B. be that would be that would be helpful for me to settle it. I, I have a sense of which way I'm leaning right now based on your arguments, but I but I would uh, ultimately yeah, the I'd like you guys to sort of summarize. Was a Venmo payment coming in for, uh, for us. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will kick it off by saying uh, you you can do better than that, Jeremy. You'll kick it off by saying <laughs> blah 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> Depression. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, there's an echo in your oven. Um, The I will kick it off by saying that you know the 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 ace in the hole here is that without one there is not the other, obviously. But um, I think that uh, you know I think like I said, one um, you know sort of had a. I think it's the depth of feeling and the depth of, of emotion that, that you can pull away from. And it, oddly enough, to say the depth of emotion with somebody who, who sang, you know, who famously sang in such a, an austere mode. But, um, you know, I think the, uh, uh, the, the real life, uh, you know, sort of real sensibility of, you know, emotional uh, um, damage that, that Ian Curtis brought to the table and put his money where his mouth is, certainly. Um, he, uh, you know, I think that's a differentiator between, and, I, and you know, again, like I said, I love No Order. Uh, I'm not arguing that they're not uh, not great, but they are uh, the lesser of the two. And um, you know, they, uh, I like what they did, but it, it 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 sort of smoothed it over and gave it a poppier sheen, and you know, sort of took uh, a lot of the um, you know em- emotional uh, piece out of it, and and kind of. Uh, almost really avoided any kind of depth in their uh, lyrics and songwriting. So, um, well, that's because they killed their lead singer last time they did it. Well, <laughs> yeah. Hey, that is, it is what it is. Um, but you know, they didn't come back and do "Back in Black," which is cool. Um, but the yeah, I you know I would say that the uh, you know the difference is is the uh, depth to which uh, one can affect you versus the other. All right. Yeah, Jeremy. I mean, look, you know, I I get the importance, and I've said this before, and, and I do love certain songs by uh, Joy Division, and think that they um, that they obviously are hugely important and hugely impactful. I just don't love listening to Unknown Pleasure or Closer, for that matter. I, I think they're they're not, and I, I get the difficultness and the and you know the sort of emotional voidness, but I just don't think they're that great musically and, and 
and not certainly not catchy in any means, minus a couple of songs on both. And for me, where I disagree with you... Shallow, esoteric place. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because it's uh, epic of lucky Jeremy time. <laughs> is, you know, I mean, I think I came to New Order, uh, and I'll admit, you know, I, I certainly heard, like, Bizarre Love Triangle, which was a hit when I was a kid, and, and it's a great song. Um, I then, you know, had kind of forgotten about them and, and um, until the Train Spotting soundtrack came out, which had Temptation on it. And uh, I just was like, wow, this song's amazing. Like, what... Why have I not heard this? And when you actually turn me on to Power Corruption and Lies, post that. And and so um, for me, it was just everything I was looking for when people told me to go listen to New Order and I heard Disorder and I was like, ooh, this is going to be great. And then I was like, eh. Um, and, you know, I heard Love Will Tear Us Apart or something like that. I think New Order does have depth. I think they have the depth in, in their music, and I think that they took it to, to emotional heights and new heights. I think that they were a, a really serious band in the sense that, like, you know, I think Bernard Sumner's lyrics are good. They might not be, you know, he might not have been an epileptic, depressive guy or whatever, um, but they never were embarrassing or, or anything else. I mean, they were they were either, like, sort of love songs or sort of surrealistic. I mean, there wasn't a lot of... frivolous, that's all. Yeah, and, but they weren't goofy <laughs> by any means, or, and they weren't, you know, uh, I think they, they had depth to them. And then, in addition to that, I think the music is where these guys who were, obviously, and, and so the counter-argument is... Would Ian Curtis, you know, they took w- what they were doing behind Ian Curtis and brought it to their level and brought it to new levels. And and that's where I think this album just kind of blows Unknown Pleasure out of the water. It is just a joy to listen to this. And the amount of bands, I mean, you listen to, you know, indie rock or underground rock or sort of the, the new kind of dance mashup stuff that came out in the early 2000s. I mean, it's all New Order. In New Order, in this album, really their first kind of three albums, um, you know, as much as people cite Joy Division with bands like Interpol, like, you know, I'm sorry, like, he may have sung in the same sort of manner, but uh, Interpol was way popular and, and I think had more in common with New Order, as do a lot of those bands. So um, I think both an influence and uh, listenability and just, you know, I, I think people love to love the idea of Joy Division more than, than the, the uh, yeah, albums a, themselves. Somebody I, I was reading said that uh, one created Nine Inch Nails, the other created LCD Sound System. So um, I kind of, I, I buy that. Yeah, that's a good one. I think there's, there's a, I mean, and, and I think that one of the true, you know, one of the truly difficult parts about um, sort of settling this particular score is the fact that, you know, this, this is one of the greatest what-if um, questions that that sort of exists in rock, right? And and the question is really, what if um, Ian Curtis had lived, continued to write those kind of haunting, uh, uh, incredibly sort of emotionally deep lyrics, and the band um, really grew behind him and just yeah. you know had more well, time to gel. That's level will tear us apart, right there. Yeah, I was gonna say that's their last right. Ceremony <laughs> that, that, that's so, that <laughs> happened. Yeah. yeah <laughs> well, or, or you know, or some of the early uh, songs that were large, you know, songs that were only played live by New Order that were actually written, you know, um, by by Curtis and sang by um, you know Sumner. So um, no, there there it it really is like a, a pretty amazing um, amazing question. Yeah. Um, so it's I, tough to tough I to choose. I also think, regardless of what what you decide on this one, Christian, three three guys are walking away with gold medals. Uh, the yeah, same, the same, <laughs> yeah exactly. Three guys. Well, they're walking away with gold and silver medals. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, I, I think that for based on these arguments, you know, I, I look, I, I 
very much get the danceability and the musicality and, and love New Order. There's a hell, I mean, there's also just a hell of a lot more to love, right? Like, I mean, in, in terms of the volume of their output. Um, but, but restricted to these two albums alone, um, you know, I, I think that Unknown Pleasures has the, the, um, the benefit of, of being sort of, you know, incredibly explosive, but also restrained at the same time. And, you know, it, it is an album of juxtapositions, I guess, or, or um, you know, sort of in, it, it, this like intrinsic conflict because it's also, you know, angry while being sort of incisive and, and um, insightful. Um, and uh, those things are, are really hard to, to sew together, I think, in, in most albums. Um, I am cutting to the chase, but, uh, but um, you know, I, I think ultimately um, you guys did a great, great um, job of, of sort of spelling out how, uh, you know, Morris's, like, drumming was just sort of continuous through both of these. He, he was a complete star of, of both of these bands. Um, you know, and ultimately it was sort of the fact that I guess Sumner had sort of a pop sensibility and like a, a dance sensibility that maybe Ian Curtis didn't have. Um, and that the, you know, it was really as that developed that you, that you, um, or you see that it's, you know, that developments sort have of come to, come to fruition in, in power, corruption and lies. But, um, and that's sort of a left turn for a bunch of guys who started out basically making, um, what was kind of a weird minimalistic, you know, version of, of punk rock. Um, I think, Ultimately, um, one of these bands benefits from uh, from being frozen in time, um, and for that reason, I think I'm gonna have to cast the the vote in favor of uh, Unknown Pleasures and, and Joy Division. USA, um, USA, USA, in your face. <laughs> yeah, um, but we're probably going to uh, still listen to Power Corruption and Lies in the celebration party um for uh, for joy division after the podcast um because uh yeah i would never want to listen to this in the company or unknown pleasures in the company of other people um but uh but yeah i mean i think you know it's it's a really it's a really outstanding album and um again like this is a this is a really brutal decision to make any final thoughts from you guys i won yeah well I mean, you <laughs> so <cheated>. shove it <laughs> 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 no, I think both uh, these albums are, are excellant, and uh, it's kind of fun to, to have fun yeah. with this type of thing. Yeah. Cool. So anyway, back to your corner, and let's take a break.
back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Tonight we are going to end our podcast the way we end every podcast, and that is, what are you listening to? What are you listening to, Christian? Well, um, I think we should start with Jeremy. Oh, man. This is like the recurring theme. Um, All right, I'll be quick. I'm going to say I've been listening to the new Waxahachie album today, and uh, Waxahachie? Waxahachie out in the storm. <laughs> what? You caught me off guard. This, this reminds me of the uh, of the Wayne's World scene with Alice Cooper, where you know they, they say like, "Oh, do you do you like yeah, Milwaukee?" And he's Milwaukee <laughs> from the Algonquin <laughs> for the good land. So um, you were telling us about Waxahachie. Waxahachie. Waxahachie, Waxahachie, and uh, yeah, no, I mean, um, new album just came out, out in the storm. Gave it a couple spins today. I was a big fan of Ivy Trip, um, the last album. I like, I'm spacing on her name, so if anyone knows it, throw it out there. Katie they don't have it in front of me. There you go. And um, I think this album's good. I, I think it starts off really strong. Um, my only issue is, is it, it, and this isn't necessarily an issue normally, but um, it's definitely trying to reach a wider audience. So it, it's a little less kind of indie, which is absolutely fine. Um, the only problem is it, it you know, starts really strong and, and then kind of gets pretty samey and, and uh, by the middle to the end. So um, if you guys are fans, it's definitely worth uh, listening to. i got to give it a few more spins. Yeah, um, I find that kind of thing grows on you sometimes until you don't yeah, see it. Yeah, I mean, it was, this is just my initial take today. I'm a huge fan. I definitely fan. felt that way. I yeah. definitely felt that way that about Sarah Lee and Salt, their, um, uh, their 2013 or 14 album. Um, like, that wasn't something that I necessarily took to immediately, but over time, you know, enough listens, like, it became a pretty, pretty um, frequent uh, part of the rotation. See, I liked both those. I liked uh, Serling Salt and Ivy Trip a lot, and I, I think both those albums have a great kind of, like, breeder sound. Um, she has great pop hooks. Um, I, I, look, this album's good. It starts off good. I just need to listen to it some more, but um, it definitely sounds bigger and broader, which is a good thing for them. So that's what I'm listening to. Cool. Um, so uh, now that I haven't, I've, I've had a moment to collect my thoughts after completely blanking when confronted with that question a minute ago. Yeah, exactly. The answer. I don't know why. Like we have this as a script, like not not scripted, but like a prepared part. I have all week to think about this question, um, and I still manage to do that almost every time. Um, and Jeremy's usually uh, uh, usually the like, guy caught hot holding the bag. Um, but the answer is, I am. I'm just uh, finishing Jeff Dyer's book, um, Jeff in Venice, Death in Varanasi, um, which is uh, an awesome sort of. I mean, I, I guess call it a the split seven inch of novels. Um, which is uh, basically, you know, uh, say 300 pages and, and split almost um, directly in the middle uh, with a story about a, a British journalist in, in Venice um, who is and a sort of love story or a fling that he has with uh, with an American at the Biennale, um, the uh, the biannual art 
festival, um, and uh, and then a, a sort of extended trip that he takes um, that a, a, an unnamed journalist, um, written from the, the first-person perspective um, as opposed to the third-person perspective, um, takes to uh, to Varanasi in India um, for, a, for a funeral. So um, I think this is a part of the... In, in preparation and, and excitement for um, for actually uh, working with with Jeff Dyer at the upcoming um, Port Elliot Literary and Arts Festival, where we'll be uh, doing a live podcast in a couple of weeks. So I'm very psyched about that. That's great. I uh, I love that novel, and I, I read it maybe five or six years ago, and it's still one of the ones that I frequently recommend um, having cleared another, you know, hundred uh, books in between. I, I always go back to that one and when people ask me what I recommend. So um, I'm going to uh, say I've had a, a, another unusual week of, of uh, homelessness and uh, my apartment should be done soon. So I finished reading The Knicks, I, uh, which I recommend. I liked it. A um, uh, little on the long side, a little bit... Uh, um, unfocused, a couple of stories that I would have maybe gotten rid of, but I liked the the central vein of it, and I really liked uh, um, this guy's writing. And I am I watched the Defiant ones uh, at your uh, behest and loved it. Thought it was great, and I too am beginning to um, prepare for our live podcast at Port Elliot Lit Fest. And in order to do that, I have. I started tackling uh, Richard Mason's um, uh, Who Killed Pete Pete Burrell, Burrell. and I'm looking forward to uh, reading that and its uh, predecessor, um, History of a Pleasure Seeker, and we'll have covered both of those by the end of next week, and we'll report back. So looking forward to our discussion with both uh, Richard Mason and Jeff Dyer uh, when we get to Cornwall, and... um, that's. I think that's that. What's. Uh, do you want to add a, a song to the uh, 443 10 best songs of all time? I do, oh. very much. Um, okay. I'm ready for this one. Uh, yeah. So one of the cool parts about the Defiant ones, which you mentioned, was um, you know the interviews with with Trent Reznor, who was sort of one of the earliest um, uh, signatories, I suppose, to um, uh, Interscope Records and. I mean, first of all, that guy is just like I. I would listen to an eight-hour interview with him as he just sort of reflects on like the state of American pop music. I mean, he's such an insightful guy. Um, but uh, in in light of that, I think I'm going to go with uh, "Head Like a Hole" by the Nine Inch Nails off their debut album, "Pretty Hate Machine." Interesting. It's a classic. Wasn't expecting. Actually, that. their second their second album, right? Uh, I think it, yeah, I think they had one. Before, Pretty Hate Machine. Uh, they might have. Yeah, I didn't know it. I only knew Pretty Hate Machine was the first. Anyway, Jer, what's your what what song would you like to put on the playlist? Uh, well, I'm gonna stay in my uh, my loser corner here, and uh, I'm not gonna hang in my sorrows though. I'm gonna put uh, "Age of Consent" by New Order Jesus. on this one. That's a classic, uh, and we just had a, a whole, we just did a whole podcast on it. Um, and I am uh, going to. Uh, jump over the the today's podcast and go with a song that I cranked on my way to a wedding this weekend when it came on the radio, and that is "Under Pressure" by Queen and David Bowie. Oh, great one! So, Good choice. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening, and thanks you guys for hanging out. Let's uh, we'll talk to them very soon. Sounds good. 
Captain Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>